Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. You know, I am just always amazed at the wonderfulness of my guests and their brilliance, and today is no exception. I have with me today Steve, I'm going to try this, Gallegos. Did Yay, I say it right? you did Woo! it right. With a name like Sokolowski, I care very much. <laughs> All right, but say it better. Gallegos. Gallegos. I just love it. He's from yeah. Chile. All right. <laughs> but you go by Stevie G. Well, yes. Um, I go by It's actually my stage name because a lot of people have trouble pronouncing Gallegos. And Gallegos. You would think not here in Texas, in Dallas, that where it used to be Mexico, right, back in the day. and uh, But people have a difficult time with it. So <laughs> my branding company has suggested Stevie G should be your name, and I so like people can pronounce that. And I like that. Yeah, they're that. not afraid of it. So. Stevie G. Well, Stevie I gotta, G. I've got to tell everyone about Stevie G. Yes, ma'am. I can't believe he has. <clears throat> you have done more things in your life than uh, to this date, and you're young, still thirty, right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thirty-eight. Is right. Most of us would would be wonderfully happy if we did in our whole lifetime. Listen to this. So, Stevie, you are um, a Marine, yes. U.S. Marine, police officer, yes. trial lawyer, yes. singer and songwriter and yes. recording artist, yes. photographer, yes. what am I leaving out, author, author, and the book is called How to Live Remarkably, which we're going to be talking about today. And under that it says, Proven Strategies to Solve Your Problems make better decisions, and eliminate stress. I just got the book, and I can't wait to delve into all that, and you're going to tell us some of that today. Yes, ma'am. Well, okay, and coach. You're a coach and a motivational speaker, and you go into companies, and you share your wonderfulness with all this with them. So, oh my gosh, you are called uh, a reinvention expert. Yes. What does that mean? Reinvention expert um, can mean different things to different people. From my perspective is to, um, we're always reinventing ourselves. When you leave high school and you enter college, you're reinventing yourself into that new college mindset, that new college lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You can't be the same person and you're not the same person that you were in high school or grade school, right? And then you start dating, you're reinventing yourself again from being <laughs> someone that's afraid of boys or afraid of girls into someone that, you know, these girls feel kind of nice, right? Or these boys look kind of nice. And so then, you know, you get out of college and you start working, you got to reinvent yourself again. Now you got to put on a suit and you're professional, right? You can't be that little college kid sitting around in your pajamas you know drinking sodas all day or whatever it is kids do these days and so every stage of your life you're constantly reinventing yourself but um, so we're already in that process but from my perspective I work with high-level people that get stuck 
right? They get into the 40s, 50s, 60s, and they find they're getting stuck in their marriages, relationships, careers mostly. And it's like, ah, I don't know what to do or I want to do something. This is what I've been wanting to do all my life, mm -hmm. but I'm afraid because I have a mortgage, I have bills, I have a wife, I have kids in school and private and this and that and the other. And so I teach them, which is something that I've done as you've described all of the careers that I've had, successful careers, how to reinvent yourself. In other words, we're not necessarily designed just to come to this planet and do one thing. A lot of people are happy doing that, but if you're dissatisfied doing that, you need to reinvent yourself into the next best version of you and your life. I love that. Yeah. In, in branding terms, I like to say your brand is not uh, evolutionary. It's not revolutionary, it's, it's evolutionary. evolutionary. Your brand Constantly is changing. always changing. Yeah. So I know too from uh, what's on your website, you are really vulnerable, Stevie. When, you, <laughs> when I went on your website to learn more about you before you came to town, and thank you for coming to town to do this show, I uh, saw your video about your life. And from that video, even before we met, what I recognized is that there's a real depth of reason of why you are now doing what you're doing. Yes, ma'am. Would you please share as much as you want to with what hap has happened in your life? This might take a couple of days and might. a couple of boxes of Kleenex. I'll watch <laughs> the time. Very good. Um, as as uh, I've shared publicly now, in, in as a man, it's it's been very difficult to to share those things um, mm -hmm. because as a Marine, you're this tough protector guy, right? As a police officer, you've got a gun and a badge and you're trained and you've you got to go out there and protect the world. And so like a lot of men today, um, I really hadn't had an opportunity to share my story and to really tell the world, you know, where I've come from and what has happened in order to create the person, the dynamics and the message that I have to deliver today. Long story short, um, at 17 years of age, I tried multiple times to take my life, to mm. commit suicide. Um, I was uh, physically and mentally abused by my parents. Um, they led me to believe at the time that I was absolutely good for nothing. They called me good for nothing, and as I like to say, my full name was absolutely good for nothing. Oh my god! And um, it's 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 a uh, you know it's the kind of thing that the more of a particular name that you're called, if you're called fat or ugly or dumb or stupid or whatever, good for nothing, the more of that you become. And so as I grew up being good for nothing, the more good for nothing I became mm. in terms of getting in trouble in school, not getting good grades and those kinds of things. And so my teachers obviously adopted the, oh, this is a good for nothing, right? And so you get to sit with the bad kids. And as you, the more you sit with the bad kids, the more bad things you learn to do. And so um, long story short, my life was really miserable. When I was a youth, I didn't understand who I was, what I was, why I was doing here, why I was brought into the world. It, it just didn't make sense to me. And so one of the things that did make sense or I tried to make sense with was ways to take my life. And I remember coming home from school multiple times, sitting in my bedroom, putting a plastic laundry bag over oh. my head and holding it around my neck and, and counting in my head to see 
okay, that moment of I, I feel myself losing it, right? Oh. But something always told me there was a, a, a voice, a, a, a nudging inside that said, you know, don't, don't do this. And I would take the bag off, but I was still miserable. Um, and then uh, a girlfriend in high school gave me a book. I didn't understand much of it other than there were seven words in this book that did make kind of sense to me. And it said, change your thoughts and you change your world. Mm. And it was by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. Yes. Well, I didn't know that I could change my thoughts. That didn't make sense to me. Thoughts, what are they? I can change them. I knew how to change my shirt, my underwear, right? My socks. <laughs> so changing my thoughts, I, I didn't know how that would manifest. But I did know how to change my world because I had run away from home several times in years prior. So I thought, aha, change my world. Let me get out of here. So as soon as I was able, at 17 years of age, I volunteered to join the uh, U.S. military. Actually, it was the U.S. Air Force. My best friend from high school and I went to the Air Force recruiter. I passed the test. He didn't. This is the kind of friends I was hanging out with, right? So the Air Force recruiter said, because I wanted to fly. Um, it turned out I couldn't because I'm colorblind, and so that would have been a disaster. <laughs> so the Air Force recruiter says, why don't you boys go next door? The Marines take everyone, right? And so I, we said, all right. So we walked next door. We liked the uniforms anyway. <laughs> we went next door, talked to the Marine Corps recruiter. We both took the test, and we both passed. And so there we were, but it was a difficult time for the recruiter or for me to get my mom to sign off. She had to sign off that I was allowed to go in because I was still a minor in uh, Illinois. So finally she, she did it. She, she yielded and she signed and off I went. Um, kind of like jumping from the firing pan into the fire, right? Because nice. I thought my life was miserable as a kid, right? <laughs> Try boot camp, Why? you know, uh, at the tail end of the Vietnam era where so they are still trying to train you in record time to become the the fighter that, that you need to be in order to protect the country. But uh, how I explain it is that those 13 weeks of Marine Corps boot camp were my formative years. Mm. Because in that 13-week period, I got my life back. And the way I got my life back is because I was taught and learned that I wasn't a good-for-nothing kid. I was actually pretty darn good at a whole bunch of things. Clearly. It's just I hadn't been given the opportunity mm -hmm. and the confidence to go out and do these things. I mean, imagine going from a 17-year-old kid into getting a, a M16 rifle in your hand saying, there's your target, shoot. Right? Who does that? Or to, you know, run up that mountain or to fight these guys, you know, in the, in the platoon, you would saddle I mean you know put protective gear on and, and fight and those kinds of things things that you didn't have to do in high school right mm -hmm. or in grade school um, so we were put in a lot of situations that caused us to boom immediately stand up to the to the challenge and um, also the Marines break you down all the military they break you down into this base level of human humanity where they can now create in you the kind of person that they need for you to be. And as I say, the Marine uh, drill instructors didn't have much work to do on me because I already had zero self-esteem. I didn't have an attitude. I didn't have this air of grandiosity like I'm this superstar, you know, kid or anything like that. I was, they just blew on me and boom, down I went. And so it was easy for them to build me back up from nothing. But what happened was, um, and this was my first life-changing transformational lesson. 
Um, there were three guys in my platoon that were primarily Spanish speaking. Two were from New York, one I believe was from Florida. And they were primarily Spanish speaking and so they were having a challenge, a hard time with the academic portion of Marine Corps training. Mm -hmm. That surprises a lot of people because you think, oh, Marines, all you guys do is fight, learn to kill, shoot, and blow yes. things up. No. The academic portion, right, the intelligence portion of academic, uh, of Marine Corps boot camp is absolutely critical. If you don't pass that, it doesn't matter how strong or fast you are or how well you shoot or can, you know, take down three, ten people at a time. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You're out. So no one asked me to do this. We weren't really good friends. You didn't have time to develop good friends in boot camp because you're always running, doing this stuff. And, but you make relationships, right? Kind of connections with each other. So I connected with these guys because of the language issue. Mm -hmm. And I learned of the struggle that they were having. So what we did is I started taking them into the showers at night after everybody went to sleep, went to bed. The four of us would go into the shower sit on that cold, musty, wet tile floor of the Paris Island uh, barracks in uh, South Carolina. And I would go through that day's lessons in Spanish. I would translate the material in Spanish so they would understand it. We would discuss it, and then I would have them give me the information back in English as best they could. And we did this over a period of weeks. One of those evenings, it was about 2 in the morning or so, the drill instructor heard us talking in the in the shower because you know you're in this tile shower everything just echoes and bounces off the walls and so he must have thought that there was oh my gosh he was going to catch us doing something that boys shouldn't be doing in the shower at two o'clock in the morning right i'm not going to go into that but use your imagination um and so he comes in screaming and charging in and swearing at the top of his voice and blah, 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 and scared the bejesus out of us and so we get up at attention and we're like he said what the heck you know going on and so i explained to him what we're doing and he's hmm okay carry on <laughs> caught our breaths and so we continued over the next two weeks or so with um what we we're doing and so come the final test the final exam elliot's speech and after that was the written portion of the test. And this is where you had to pass the test. This is like week 11 or 11 and a half or something mm, like that. Close. So, yeah, it's very close. It's right at the tail end of things, maybe week 12 even, if I remember correctly. And after taking the test, I scored number one. And my three buddies scored two, three, and four oh, on the exam. Great. And so we all made it through. Now, as a result... I was granted the privilege of wearing the marine dress blue uniform. I was designated the, uh, the uh, platoon honor man, which is essentially the valedictorian of the class, if you will. That's the equivalent. And only one marine in the whole platoon of a hundred and some guys is given that privilege. Wow. And usually it goes to like the fastest or the high, the best, you know, shooter or, you know, the best all around. But it was just me. Mm. So I was given my first rank of Private First Class, that gorgeous marine dress blue uniform, mm -hmm. and I got to represent the platoon as the, the honor man. Now, what that taught me was that, um, again, no one asked me to do it, mm -hmm. um, but taught me my first life principle, which has been my philosophy of life to this day, is that I achieved my dreams helping others achieve theirs. I didn't know Zig Ziglar at the time. I didn't know he existed. And maybe, I think, yeah, he was there. He started in the 60s. Um, 
but he had the same message. I learned about that, you know, later on. He states it a little bit differently than I do. But I said, oh, that's really cool. Someone else is already on this principle. And so I started reading Zig Ziglar books. And then I start reading Tony Robbins books. And then I start reading John Maxwell and uh, Jack Canfield and Wayne Dyer and just really start delving into this whole area of personal development over the years. And it was through that experience that I learned that my parents weren't bad people. They just didn't know parenting. They parented the way that they were parented too. In other words, they treated me the way that they were taught to love. And so in their way, they loved me very much. Mm. But the way that they learn, had learned to express their love, and this holds true today. You know, I, I, Valerie, we live in a society where you and I can't do what we do without a professional degree, right? I can't practice law without having gone to law school and passed the bar exam. Right? I need to be tested and examined in order to perform surgery on someone or to drive a car, a taxi, to drive a car, mm -hmm. a simple car to get here today. Sure. We need a license. But to become a parent, which is the most uh, essential role that I believe a human being plays on this planet, no license required, no permit required, no training required. Just go out on Friday night and have a good time, and then boom, you're launched into parenthood, and everybody celebrates it. Yay! You know, <laughs> they, they give you baby showers and gifts and those kinds of things, but no one teaches you what to do or how to love that child. And so you have this poor human being that is thrust, sometimes by accident, Many times it's intentional. Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how did this happen? You know how it happened. Um, but you're thrust into this situation, right? S like situational leadership. This is a show on leadership, situational mm -hmm. leadership. In the military, it happens. In the police force, it happens. Boom, your buddy goes down, the sergeant goes down. Someone's got to step up and take place and lead everybody else. Situational parenting, boom. There you are, you have a child on the way. Oh, how do I love that child? How do I protect them? How do I train them? How do I teach them? How do I do these things? And so there's, nowadays we have lots of books on it, but back in the day when I was growing up and I was a child in that position, my parents hadn't read How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> I wish they had, um, but you know, all that to say that I'm the person I am today as a result of that experience. I have a story to tell. I have a message to share as a result of that, what I feel is awful. awful. Now, recognizing today, a lot of stories are coming up in the media about you know uh, sexual abuse, being raped as a child, and, um, and even as adults and those kinds of things. And so a lot of this stuff is coming out today. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that my upbringing was much different or very different from some of the stories you hear today, but my upbringing was my upbringing, and I can assure you that it was just as terrible as some of the things that are happening today. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. not going to go into detail about the things that happened, the actual events and, and the, uh, the physical abuses, um, because it's not necessary to do that, right? Um, what's important is that I learned to understand that my parents were human beings and they made critical mistakes that could have been avoided had someone given them a manual or had they been aware enough to recognize I need a manual I need something right but that something didn't exist back then other than neighbors uh, coffee tea time with the with the neighborhood ladies and 
my son did this. What do, you know? What he comparing notes, right? Like like moms did back in the day. Parents, and then the dads. He's just off to work. He doesn't care. And maybe right? maybe they wouldn't have had the self awareness, which I know you're big on, to even to even read that. Stevie, it's amazing uh, how many people, when you get to know them, have had very deep things happen to them. And the good news is, and you're one, you have risen above and made something very very special on behalf of other people. So I want to go to the fact that you obviously didn't feel loved and i know that's one of your main messages you mm -hmm. told me that you feel like or you know that everyone really deep down maslow's hierarchy we're all seeking to be loved so when you went on then to uh let's take this piece about singing or even policemen but all of those things that you then went on to accomplish Tell us about, as you were accomplishing them, was that helping you feel loved, or how do you help others now feel loved, based on your experience? Um, the way to do it now is first to understand that um, every single human on this planet, and this is why I can relate to so many people. I can speak to someone in prison at mm -hmm. that level, and I can speak to the most successful CEOs and military officers that have existed and speak to them on their level because I know two things. I know that there's something that they want, always. There's always something that they want and there's something that they're afraid of. Right? Interesting. Everybody has something that they want and something that they're afraid of. Knowing that, I know what questions to ask in terms of my clients today and the, the work that I do with high-level executives and um, uh, managerial folks and entrepreneurs and those kinds of things. But going back to the, the journey of, okay, how did you get from that good-for-nothing kid having graduated from the Marine Corps um, to being a police officer to being a singer, I didn't know it at the time, but what I was looking for was love. Mm -hmm. And it relates back to, and, and all of these issues relate back to our being children because we're programmed by our parents to have these certain beliefs about ourselves and we grow up to have these beliefs and we grow into our, our adulthood thinking, uh, uh, I, I've ne I didn't work hard enough and my parents always said I'm a loser, lazy, and so I need to keep working. Guess what? That's why we're workaholics, right? Because we're always trying. Dad says, oh, you only got second or third place? No, you're a first place finisher. You're an A student, and a B isn't good enough, and a C isn't good enough, and all of these things. Well, that's why we have these workaholics and people that are perfectionists and just always trying to do their even better than their best and not being satisfied when they achieve their best. And you see it all the time. You see it in the Oscars. If you watched it the other day, oh, I could have done better. Thank you, but you know, uh, <laughs> you know all this stuff, right? Humility, maybe. Uh, possibly, you know, it, it exists. But I, I can tell you for, uh, I can guarantee this, every single person that steps on that stage, every single person that steps in front of the camera, every single person whose name appears on those credits, there's a reason why that's there. And they're all looking for the same thing that I was looking for, was love, admiration, and respect. That's the only reason they do what they do. And they would say, or I would say on their behalf, recognition, but, but it's different. 
So I want to be recognized because that to me is love. That right. to me, right? Is you're showing me love by recognizing me, right? By applauding my work. You're showing me love. We're all after love. So, and so, so you came to know this and and deeply, what was the turning point of when you finally went, Oh, this is what I've been seeking <laughs> and now here's when I started doing what I'm doing now. That's Show a, us that transition. That's a fun question. Your questions are brilliant, Valerie. Oh, Absolutely thank you. brilliant. <laughs> because you're, you're tapping into your, it's not about us seeking answers. A lot of people say, oh, I need to find the answer. No, no, no. You need to ask the right questions, right? Because you ask the right questions, you get the proper information. You're asking brilliant questions. As a kid, the only thing that I could do right in the eyes of my parents and the rest of the world was sing. Every time I opened my mouth to sing, applause. The neighbor ladies would come over for coffee or tea. My mom would say, hey, mijo, come on over and sing. And you know, so I would sing Christmas songs or Aww. whatever. And everybody, oh, yeah, you're so adorable. And I would get hugs and love. So I was like a Pavlov dog thinking, OK, I sing, I get love, right? Mm. You hear the bell, you get fed. I sing, I get love. I sing, I get love. So I grew up thinking I want to be a superstar singer. Thinking that I wanted to be a superstar singer all the while, the truth was I wanted love. And I thought singing, being on stage, being a superstar, international recording artist was the way to get that love, admiration, and recognition. Um, back in the day, in the mm. 80s and 90s, I was pursuing a career in music. Uh, I was wanting to be the modern-day Julio Iglesias, for <laughs> those of you that know Julio. Um, I wanted to be that modern-day guy. And I had the skill. I had the talent and everything for it. I could do it really well. But once I got uh, practicing law, I was a business and entertainment lawyer. And being in the entertainment world and i felt like dorothy arriving at the land of oz and pulling back that curtain and seeing that you know gray-haired dirty old man you know with his little <laughs> sleeveless t-shirt on you know pulling the levers making all the noise and smoke and stuff like that that's what to me was the music industry in hollywood is all about it's a lot of smoke and mirrors they produce great stuff there are some great are great some people, people working in that industry i love entertainment i love to be entertained so i'm not knocking the industry what i'm saying is that it has a lot of warts yes and a lot of people fall prey to the the abuses of the industry but what it taught me was that i don't want to be here it didn't feel good being taken advantage of or trying to take advantage of other people right for opportunity's sake so I had to start thinking, okay, this music career thing isn't panning out, although I've got a gorgeous CD and, you know, <laughs> excellent musicians on it from the world of smooth jazz and stuff like that. Very well produced. It was considered for a Grammy in the year 2000. Really? Yeah. So it got to that level of, of performance, of ability. Um, but I felt the dissatisfaction. I, I wanted to distance myself, but it was so hard because it was, this is what I've worked for all my life this is all i've wanted to be but i didn't say why isn't it happening i thought why do i want this so much oh you were aware enough to exactly. ask yourself I said, that why question. do i want this so much and when i really took a look deep inside after reading and talking to and going to programs and stuff like that tony robbins helped a lot i learned that it was because i was seeking love admiration acceptance once i learned that i didn't think i don't need it i thought how else can I get it if not on the musical stage, right? So I switched my talents to photography. I love photography. I had 
taken uh, courses. I had studied photography uh, when I was younger. And so I left the practice of law, left the entertainment industry altogether, the pursuit of it, reinvented myself, moved to Dallas, and launched a business as a commercial photographer and did really, really well. It was 2008. I attended a success conference in Las Vegas the day I met my wife. And I'm sitting at the Hilton Hotel Ballroom in Las Vegas, and the speaker pulls off what you pull, what you have already identified, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And this was another life-changing moment for me. And it happens just like that. You don't know when it's coming, but it does arrive. He put up Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and he says, this is what the whole world is looking for. Everybody from time eternal has been looking for all of these things. Ain't that great? We're all on the same path. We're all looking for the same thing. We all want the same things. Love, self-esteem, recognition, security, all those things. And then he said something absolutely brilliant that I hadn't been expecting. He said, but if you don't have these things, how can you give them away? I'm taking down notes like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. If you don't have these things, how you can you take, give them away? Uh, and he said, if you don't have these things, how can you give them away? So, Valerie, or anybody who's watching, if you don't have love, and you're seeking love, and you're needing love, and you're searching for love, how can you possibly give it away? when you receive someone in your life and that's not being narcissistic no not at all no just no self. it's it's not about the kind of love like oh look at me i'm so great and famous and look at my nails and look at my car and look at my house and look at my no that's that's narcissism at its at its best <laughs> right that's that's just the wrong side of of the thing the point being that if i don't care enough about myself to honor myself to decide I'm not going to eat this food because it's not good for me. I'm going to eat this. That's self-love. I'm not going to hang around these people because they talk about bad things. They gossip. They, they're doing you know awful things against their husbands, against their wives. I'm not going to hang around these guys because they're Choices. talking about locker room talk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do and, and spend my time somewhere else. It's more productive. Loving mm -hmm. my family. That's self-love right making those kinds of decisions so if i'm able to love myself completely and i've told my wife this um i can love her absolutely unconditionally because i don't need anything from her and i know no, it sounds strange why you don't need anything from your wife no i don't and as a result of that she's able to and willing to give me everything she has and i'm willing to give her and able to give her everything i have whatever point in time but if I'm needing something oh honey I need you to tell me how beautiful I am how wonderful I am I need you to tell me that you love me I need you to make me feel make this me way feel right mm -hmm. in the beginning it might be cool right she says oh I can do that right I can fill that role I can fill that space I can feel that hurt I can feel that pain take it away but the minute that she gets a headache the minute that she has to go away on a trip the minute that she wants to spend time with her mom or friends and she's not there for me all of a sudden i'm like a lost puppy oh my gosh what do i do mm. she doesn't love me mm. and these conflicts exist in relationships not only in the bedroom but at work as well mm -hmm. right because we feel like oh that person is not there for me they were in the beginning something's changed they've changed no let go of the need let go let of, go of the, the need. need and just give 
And so now my wife and I, we have this great thing. We're just always giving to each other. Every time I go in the kitchen, <laughs> honey, do you need something? As simple as that, right? It's not lavishing her with gifts and diamonds and cars and houses. That's, she doesn't want any of that. That's just stuff. But it's the, the simple stuff, giving yeah. her a hug when she didn't ask for it, right? Um, just saying I love you a hundred times a day just because we're driving down the road. Oh, look, there's a church's chicken. I love you. You know, <laughs> th that kind of stuff. That's the relationship. That's where we need to get in our relationships. It's just a shame <laughs> that you're not passionate. Oh. <laughs> I just wish you could find your purpose. I can try. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can be trained in that really well, trust me. <laughs> you know, uh, Stevie, in the time we've got left, I, I, I so want to uh, share a couple of things that you did, shared with me before the show because the audience knows I always interview people and take a lot of time to research the people and I just was um, I was fascinated with our discussion around now what you're able to do because of all your background and crap I'll say that on camera that you've had to experience when it could have taken you down mm -hmm. you you gave us some one gave me some wonderful teachable points of view that uh, I do want to put up on camera around all the things you've talked about and one of them was exactly that which is um, when you look for ways to help others get what they want you will be rewarded correct and then you've already talked about the one that if you don't have love, you can't give love. Um, talk to us about the uh, aspect of, I'll just say, in, in a short amount of time on your website, it says, send me an email and I can coach you for 90 minutes and really I'll use the words unstick your stuckness. <laughs> I like that. You unstick can your unstick stuckness. your. <clears throat> you can take that. Yeah. Unstick your stuckness, and I do find in my own practice that many many people are stuck. So, without divulging kind of what you do, uh, I want to know how you have harnessed all this power within you, self power that comes from what you've experienced and are able to really get people unstuck um, I'm blessed to have had all of those opportunities as a US Marine well first as a um, suicidal teen and and you know just a, a troubled teen right because now I can relate to mm -hmm. people that have been troubled or that are currently troubled um, as a US Marine um, as a police officer as a trial lawyer all of those careers have a common thread. I didn't realize that until years later, but I was always in a position to guide and lead and help and protect others. Mm -hmm. okay? So that's why I was able to transform into this amazing career that I have now as a executive of relationship coach or reinvention expert. And I get to work with a lot of people at their level. In other words, I understand you're a branding expert, so it's one thing to say, oh, I'm a relationship coach and that's it. But I think that that's doing a disservice to people because if we're a relationship coach, we have to start with the fact that the, that relationship, if we're talking about personal, intimate relationships, all of that dovetails into your career. In other words, mm -hmm. as I like to say, if you get it right in the bedroom, you'll score in the boardroom. <laughs> 
Okay. Nice. If you get it right in the bedroom, you will score in the boardroom because what happens to you at home, what happens to you the night before is going to impact and affect and in many ways direct how you show up in the marketplace the next day. You have a great date, girl goes into the office and she's happy and she's willing to serve customers and she's bringing <laughs> coffee and donuts to everyone, everything's good in the office, but she has a bad date, oh my gosh. Don't talk to me, I don't wanna answer the phone, she hangs up on clients and you're losing, si well the same thing is true for executives. Executives, if they're not happy at home, if they're not happy in their relationship, if the kids aren't doing well and those kinds of things, all of that is brought to the workplace the next day. In the executive meetings, they're on their phone, they're on their iPads, they're thinking about, oh my gosh, uh, the mortgage is late and um, bills are too high and the kids are not doing well in school and I think my wife is running off with the tennis coach or, <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be, they're not focused on our next $10 million, where's it gonna come from and, you know, tomorrow's meeting with the new client that's gonna be able to get us there, right? And so. A lot of people just go into these corporations and deal with these executives and say, oh, Mr. Executive, this is how you get your time right, and this is how you adjust your schedule so that you can do all these important things on your to-do list. I said, that's a bunch of BS. Tell me what's going on at home. Tell me what's going on at home. Tell me what's going on in the bedroom. Not salaciousness and those kinds of things. So sometimes you need to get into the details. However, it all translates into how we show up in the workplace. It's all related, you can't take it away. And so that 90 minute thing is knowing that everybody's human and executives in particular, we don't have time for a 12 month coaching program or a six month coaching or even a three month coaching program. I love the coaches that offer those things, but I'm not that guy. I've trained myself, I have the experience, like I said, to talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time, sit down with them, speak at their level, get to the heart of the problem right away. No BS, especially if they're non-BS type of, you know, executives, like they just like to get to the point. Those are my favorite people. Just help me get unstuck. Yeah, exactly. And they need it now. The wife is filing for divorce the next day. They need the answer now, mm -hmm. right? The company's going down. They're losing their biggest client. They're losing their biggest account. They, they're filing for bankruptcy in two weeks. They need the answers now. And so within 90 minutes, I can sit down with any executive and I can't fix your finances. I can't fix, Yeah, I can't go and speak to that client and say, oh, it's okay. They really love you and care for you. No, I can't do any of that. And I don't need to know about widgets and the technology and the thing that they produce and sell because my focus is the human being. Mm -hmm. And I know that human being. I know what that human being's been through and I know the problems they're going through, that they've gone through, and I know the mistakes they're gonna make. And they're universal. We're gonna screw up. We're gonna have affairs, we're gonna gamble, we're gonna get addictions, we're gonna get distracted, we're gonna do stupid stuff. And you see it all the time, right? These great, great people. Um, not to, yeah, I don't, I'm not gonna mention any names because <laughs> it's a very sensitive subject these days, but it's all in the news today about you know how someone said something about this basketball player and all of a sudden, uh -huh. oh, the whole world, how can you say that? Well, that individual was a human being that made a mistake, but there was a reason he made that mistake is because he or she was looking for something that they felt they didn't have because they didn't have that self-love. And they needed to make that mistake in order to become aware finally through his wife or whatever mm -hmm. that mm, okay i don't need to go down that road to get what i need um so yeah in 90 minutes i can sit down with any individual figure out what's wrong 
but it requires participation on their part. I'm not a psychic. Sure. I'm not. I don't have a crystal ball, and I can't sit down with Mike and say, "You have an issue with this." No, it's not like that. They need to be forthcoming. They need to be ready. And if they're not ready, then I won't work with them. They need to be ready to bear it all on the table with me, because that's the only way I can help them. But within that 90 minutes, we define the problem. Say, "Well, this is what you need to fix." Right? I can give them a blueprint for how to fix it and it could be sending them to valerie it could be sending them to dr joe or dr mike or you know OBGYN susie it could be something like that i'm not saying i fix the problems now the transformation that they will experience that requires participation on their part that may take two weeks six months whatever the case may be but that's on them accountability getting to the problem mm -hmm. getting to the heart of the problem the solution to the problem we can do it within 90 minutes. That's amazing. And there's no doubt that you're able to do that or you wouldn't be out there doing real it. world <laughs> doing it and doing it right. Doing it right. I love your book. Yeah. <laughs> How can people uh, reach you? I think we've got on the bottom third of the screen uh, what I suggested was to go to your website and you can people can see exactly the parts of the website that you've just described uh, and then what about the book because I'm really looking forward to reading this there's a picture of you and beautiful Alethea your wife on it you're a biker too you two I guess are on your bike here actually that's those are good friends of ours that oh that served as you. models no oh well it, yeah for we're, a minute we're better looking than that okay well sorry about that <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> no. But this is on Amazon, right? Yes, it's on Amazon. How to Live Remarkably. Correct. One final question before we go. One word, just one word, that you want everybody to, at the end of your time on this earth, remember you for this one word. What would it be? Um, remarkable. Remarkable. I like that. Remarkable. Well, that's how you got that name, How to yep. Live Remarkably. Correct. So you really are... A transformational person and you have certainly transformed yourself it's an amazing story thank you for being so vulnerable thank you for sharing depths of things I don't know if you shared this with a whole lot of other people but now the world knows it <laughs> and and we respect you for thank all you. the things that you're currently doing you're one of the most giving people thank that you. I've met thank, thank you, you for that it's a pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to serve you and your audience and uh, you had asked me uh, earlier about reaching me, the first thing I want to say about reaching me is contact Valerie, okay? Drop an email to Valerie, send a message to her on Facebook saying, I saw your interview with Steve Gallegos, I'd like to reach him. But first, before you do that, thank her for producing this show <laughs> and for bringing all this great information because I know I'm not her first guest, I think I'm like 342 by now or something like that 70 something 70 something okay she'll get to 342 <laughs> and she's now international because we have friends in costa rica that will are watching and will be watching the uh the the live stream of the show later but contact valerie and just thank her for doing this because it, it it's it's wow. it's not an easy thing to do and she's giving of her time to bring other people for you for you to experience and to learn from us so i'm privileged to to know you and to be on your show and to have this opportunity to to serve you like I said um, so yes through my website 
Um, and what was your final question? Was it that the, one word? That remarkable. one word, remarkable. Yeah. I have remarkable. to say uh, that that just has totally blown me away. Whoever would think about saying things like that to to a host so from the bottom of my heart thank you you're welcome <laughs> that's really special of course i always want to hear from you and so i do want to hear from you be sure that you make comments in uh in this session and and ask questions because one of us will get back to you and answer and so until next time be authentic stay real stay the course keep yourself just aware of your own wonderfulness. God don't make no junk, and that's why there are no <laughs> more thumbprints just like yours. yours. Look at that. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, valerieandcompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically. So I have a Valerieism for you. Listen up. When disappointment and devastation knock you down, hang on and reach up to hope. Hope is the rope that will pull you back up. And all my Valerieisms are coming from my stories. The one I want to share with you there is <laughs> there are a lot of times in life. You know what? Life can push you down. It can tear you apart. It can bring you into all kinds of knots. But there's always hope. And so I just encourage you, as I have tried to do throughout my life, and I wouldn't be sitting here today if I hadn't reached up and found that hope keep recognizing there is a light at the end of the tunnel so when you're in that devastation or those disappointments just take a moment and say to yourself self what is one thing that i can do to take one step toward believing this will not last if you'll do that time and time again you will reach back up and forward and onward from there. So let me say it again. When disappointment and devastation knock you down, hang on and reach up to hope. Hope is the rope that will pull you back up. And that's it for now. <laughs>